As we come now before the Word of God, please turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, to Exodus in chapter 4. We've now made it three chapters in a few months. Exodus uh, chapter 4. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our great God, would you help us now as we come before you to see the wonders of your word? And we know the very act of seeing this really is a wonder. This must be something that's done by your spirit in us. Even though you've attested to these things by witnesses and proved them reliable by signs and and many wonders and miracles, help us now to see and to believe. Cause us to really pay attention here to these things. We ask your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take this morning these first nine verses of Exodus chapter 4. So this is Exodus chapter 4, beginning in verse... One. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside of your cloak, and so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. This is the word of God. Now, let's remember where we are in the middle of this account. Moses is still standing here barefoot before the burning bush where he is being called by God to go back to Egypt in order to bring all of the people of Israel out of slavery. God will save his people. He will save his people, and Moses will be the one that he uses to do it. So part of the Lord's sending of Moses now is to give Moses these three incredible signs. So what exactly is happening here with these? Because it is, it is one thing to read 
off of a page about these particular signs, it would be another thing to actually experience these, to actually imagine for us now what this might have been like for Moses to actually see a, sna- a staff turn into a snake and to see his hand turn leprous and to see water turn to blood. These are amazing things. And some would say that these are almost too incredible in the sense that they might not be a credible account. Uh, Some would say, and we have to admit there's something to this, that it's hard to believe that things like this actually happen. And yet Moses, and then later the people who also see these signs, genuinely is impacted by them. He runs from them. He responds to them. These are not just figments of his imagination. These are not just hallucinations that he's seeing but can't actually see or interact with. These are not just metaphors either. These are real events. How is that possible? C.S. Lewis, of course, when I bump into anything hard, next to the Bible, uh, you know, well, under the Bible is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis I wrote a book some time ago called Miracles. And in this book, uh, he writes about how our own experiences are not a reliable gauge about what's possible. He says this, mere experience, even if it's prolonged for a million years, mere experience cannot tell us whether the thing is possible. Experiment finds out what regularly happens in nature, the norm or the rule to which nature works. Those who believe in miracles are not denying that there's a norm or rule. They are only saying that it can be suspended. A miracle is, by definition, an exception. In other words, he says here that our own experiences, even things like scientific experiments, those are good for what they can do which is to tell us what is typically happening in the world, what typically happens according to the laws of nature. But what our own experiences and even experiments cannot tell us is they cannot tell us whether there might be an exception to the law. So if I were to conduct an experiment and and take a pin and, and hold it out and drop it, just to see what happens, you know, Kids are doing experiments all the time, aren't they? What happens if I put this uh, booger on the wall? I don't know, you're t- testing things out. If I drop it to see what happens, it's likely to fall. If I do it a second time, that pin is likely to fall onto the ground. If I do it a million times, that pin is likely to hit the ground. That shows me what we know now as the law of gravity. But for the one millionth and first time that I do this, we now have a prediction a good prediction even, about what's likely to happen. But what we do not know, what experience and experiments cannot tell us, is whether there might be an intervention in nature from the outside. Whether my other hand will reach out and snag it, 
or whether someone will bump into it and it will fly off, or whether something supernatural will happen. This does not mean that the laws of nature themselves have changed. Gravity does not stop working in this sense. This is to be an exceptional case. A miracle, by definition, she says, he says, is an exception to the laws. So, God intends these three signs to be exceptional cases. He doesn't tell Moses, hey Moses, tell people not to throw their staffs on the ground or else you might have a whole bunch of snakes writhing around everywhere. That's not the purpose here. These are unique occurrences that God gives him for a particular purpose. So he's not just pulling a rabbit out of the hat for fun. They're signs given particularly in response to Moses' predicament. And the predicament, he says, is this in verse 1. Moses is asking God... What if I go to the people and tell them that you've sent me and they don't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? What if they say, Moses, prove it? Then what? So the, the Lord then gives him these things. He gives these signs as a sort of proof of Moses' authority. This is an act of God's mercy here. If you've been with us, or if you've read this section of Exodus before, we've seen already that the Lord, Yahweh, is a God who appears here in a flame of fire. The Lord, Yahweh, is a God who strikes fear and reverence into the hearts of those who encounter him. The Lord Yahweh is a God whose own holiness makes the ground around him holy ground. But this same God, this same Lord, is also a God of mercy. It is mercy to the people. You'll notice he doesn't just give him one sign. You know, you'd think a stick turning into a snake would be enough. He gives him the first sign and he says, if they don't listen to that... Let me give you number two. Oh, and if they don't listen to that, let me give you a third. He actually anticipates some level of resistance from the people and responds to it before it even occurs. And his mercy is effective. We find out later in chapter 4, where is it? Verse 29. Here's what happens when Moses goes back. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. The signs, the mercy of God were effective here. But these signs were not only a mercy to the people, the signs were a mercy also to Moses. We see in the last chapter, uh, verse 18, just maybe a minute ago, 30 seconds ago in their very same conversation, the Lord told Moses, when you go back to the people, they will listen to you when you go. But now here in our text, Moses makes a counterpoint. But what if they don't? Have you ever done this? We see something in the scripture that the Lord is very clear on, very specific on, and we go, counterpoint, Lord, but what if? And when that happens here, 
When Moses says, but wait a minute, Lord, but what if the Lord could thunder crack there? He could say, didn't I just tell you? Do you not believe me? I'm the Lord before you in a burning bush of fire. The Lord could smite Moses there even, and he would be justified to do so. But instead, we see the mercy of God. The Lord's first words to Moses in response to Moses' counterpoint are, what's that in your hand? Toss it down. In other words, Moses, watch what I can do. That's an act of mercy to Moses even. It is good for us then to remember that the Lord our God is rich in mercy, full of mercy, even in an outpouring of judgment. Because very soon we will see his famous ten plagues in Egypt. Now, let's talk about these plagues for a moment. It is fitting to call what is about to come in Egypt before Pharaoh and to the whole land plagues. It's a fitting word. The scripture uses it. But there is a more common word, actually a phrase of two words that the scripture uses to describe what happens in these ten events. It's not the word plague. It's uh, later. You can hear them together in chapter 7, verse 3, just one verse here. The Lord says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh won't listen to you. So that's what he describes them as. He doesn't call them, at least here, plagues. He calls them signs and wonders. That's a description of these ten things to come. And I don't want to press the difference, really, between signs and wonders too much. There's there's a lot of overlap between them. They're not quite synonyms, but they're very close. But generally, if I can try to tease out some of the differences, signs are markers, like a signpost. They're pointers to particular things. Sometimes they're a proof or a case meant to say something. Signs are meant to tell us something. Wonders, on the other hand, are things that make us go, Oh, that spark awe in us. Wonders are usually supernatural things, things that we sometimes call by the word miracles. So a sign is a point or a wonder is the supernatural thing. And these two are not quite identical. There's overlap, but they're not quite identical. So some signs are not wonders. So as an example... Uh, As a sign of the Lord's covenant in Genesis, he gives a rainbow. It's pretty, but it's also very natural. It's part of the natural world. Same with the sign of circumcision. It's less pretty, but also very natural. Uh, We hear later when the tribes of Israel are gathering that they have signs or banners over them. Uh, that have, I guess, the name of the tribe on them. And then later when they move into the promised land, they're told to just set up some rocks as a sign. These are not supernatural things. They're very physical, tangible things. The Lord even says here to Moses just a little bit ago that Moses, as a sign that I'm with you, you will return to this mountain. That's a sign that you've really been sent by me. These are signs 
but not wonders. They're not something like turning water into blood. They're natural things, not supernatural things. So there are some that are signs, not wonders. On the flip side, there are some things that are wonders, but not signs. I have looked for a long time for a place to squeeze this story into a, into a sermon, and here it is. In, in uh, well, let me make sure I get the reference right. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a little account here where there's a bunch of guys who gather down, uh, together, and they're chopping down wood for a particular purpose. And, and one guy has an axe, and he's hacking at this tree, and the head of the axe flies off into the water and sinks. And the man panics and says, which makes me chuckle every time I read it, it was borrowed. The axe was borrowed and the head's in the water. So Elisha, the prophet, goes over and he throws a stick into the water and the iron axe head floats and the man takes it out. The end of story. I have no idea what to make of that, but it occurred. It's not a sign in the sense that it's not pointing to a particular thing but it is a wonder. The same, by the way, is true about the burning bush itself. The sign, it's not a sign. It's not pointing to the Lord. The Lord is present within the burning bush in some way. But uh, it, is a, it is a wonder. It is a supernatural thing. So you get the idea. Okay, I've probably belabored this a little longer than I needed to. You get the idea. Not every sign is a wonder. Not every wonder is a sign. But... Most of the time in Scripture, when we hear these, we hear something as both a sign and a wonder. So a good example of this is that the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 7, speaks in terms of signs and wonders about the virgin conception. That there will be one who is born who was virgin conceived. It's a wonder in the sense that we know that's not how the natural process goes. And yet this event is also a sign. It's a marker of a particular thing that you're to call this child Emmanuel. It's a sign that God is with us. When this child, who's eventually we know as Jesus, when Jesus comes then, it's not just his conception that's marked with a sign and a wonder. It's his whole life is full of signs and wonders up to and including his death and resurrection. Uh, Peter makes a huge point of this after Christ has ascended back to the right hand of the Father. This is in Acts chapter 2 as Peter's preaching to this crowd about Jesus. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 21 I'll pick up. He says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not 
impossible for him to be held by it. Peter's point to the crowd is this. That Jesus, in his life, was attested or proven by the signs and wonders, and yet you still killed him. And yet you still rejected him. So now in this sermon, he says, now after the greatest sign and wonder of his life, which is the Easter morning, reject, Easter, uh, morning resurrection, will you now reject him still? Will your sin keep you from seeing the truth about him? Or will you listen to him? Will you repent and believe in Jesus? Signs and wonders are a mercy from God intended to produce belief in us. It's not just to wow us. It's to cause us to believe. So will you believe? Will you trust the Lord Jesus or will you reject this mercy? Whatever it is in your life that might hinder your belief, set it aside. Whatever it is that might hinder your belief, set it aside. Push it aside. Throw it aside with all the energy you can muster. Whatever it is that's hindering your belief, that's standing in the way of your belief, that thing is not worth holding on to. Whatever it is that stands in your way, you know that Jesus is stronger Jesus is better. Jesus is worth so much more than whatever that is. Look at him with all of his signs and wonders, including his very life after death itself, and believe that he is Lord and God. Hold on to him as one who is attested by God. Moses' question, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? Which, by the way, we have to wonder if Moses recognized his own unbelief by even asking that question. But he asked this question, and in response, the Lord gives Moses something Wondrous. The Lord takes what's very normal, what's very available, and transforms it. I love the beginning words. The Lord says, what you got in your hand? What is that thing? What do you have in your hand? Oh, a staff? Toss it down. See what happens. Oh, what, what, your hand? Let's just take your hand. Stick, stick it inside of your cloak. Let's just see what happens. Now, with these things, 
we have to wonder then, why are these three wonders that the Lord gives so scary? Think about them. Actually, imagine them. Why, why does he, you know, toss down a staff and it turns into a snake? You know, something that Moses runs from and gets scared from. Why doesn't, you know, the Lord say, toss down your staff and it turns into, like, a, an umbrella or something? You know, give me something useful here. Why, why can't Moses put his hand in, in his cloak and then, you know, come out with a handful of cash? Or, you know, or at least this is, Moses is 80 years old or so, but at this point, why can't he put his hand in as an 80-year-old man's hand and then have it come out looking like his young 15-year-old self? Strong, and, you know, why does it have to go this kind of dark way? I think that's because the emphasis, even though these things are wonders, the emphasis on the text is that they are signs. He calls them as much in, in verses 8 and 9. And so the focus then is not just on what these things do, it's on what they say to him as they happen. So the main thing that these signs say is that they're to affirm to the people that Moses is really sent from God. That's the reason why he gives them in the first place, to affirm that God's power is with Moses so that the people will believe Moses and listen to Moses. But there's more than that in these signs. These signs are a foretaste of what is to come. And what's to come is not an umbrella What's to come is not a fistful of cash. In fact, we're going to see these same three signs, these same things come up again. The staff being turned into a snake is the, is the first sign performed in front of the Pharaoh in his presence, the first flex of the Lord's power in front of him. The, uh, the hand being diseased, we don't see in, in Egypt, but later Moses' sister, when she challenges his authority, is turned leprous. And then this Nile turning into blood is the first of the proper plagues, the ten signs and wonders done to the whole land of Egypt. This third sign the turning of the Nile into blood is different than the first two. It's the capstone of the three signs, the one that will finally produce belief for sure, he says. And it's different not only because it's on a larger scale. The Nile is turned to blood in all of Egypt. It's not just that. It's, it's also different uh, here, not just later. It's different here at the burning bush. It's different in two ways. This is what we're going to look at here for the rest of our time, and then we'll be finished. Let's listen to what this final sign says to us. This last sign, the turning of Nile water into blood, is different, one, because there's no preview. There's no preview. Meaning... That if you notice in the text, the first two signs, the Lord does them right then and there. The staff turns into a snake. The hand turns into a leprous hand. But this third one is not actually done here at the burning bush. 
You know, Moses is out keeping his sheep in Midian, kind of wandering around his regular day, and when he stumbles upon the burning bush, surely Moses, as a good shepherd, would have had, you know, a skin of water to drink during his day, his little Nalgene bottle attached to his hip. So the Lord could have used that, just like he said, oh, what have you got there in your, in, in your hand? A staff, throw it down. Oh, what have you got there attached to your hip? A bottle of water, pour it out. He could have done that and showed him this third sign, but he didn't. The Lord waited to show this third sign until Moses had returned back to Egypt already. The Lord waited to reveal this sign until Moses is in front of the people doing it when his reputation and authority is already on the line, which means this third sign is going to require from Moses faith. Faith before he gets to see the sign itself. There is no preview here. And the second and last thing I'll mention here, the second thing that is different about this third sign is that there is no return. There's no return, at least not immediately. Here's what I mean. If you notice, the first and second signs go from something good to something bad and back to something good. Staff, throw it down, becomes a snake. Grab it by the tail, becomes a staff again. Hand, put it in your cloak, comes out leprous or diseased. Put it in your cloak again, and it's healthy once again. In the third sign, we have water that turns to blood. And that's it. There's no indication here that the blood is turned back to water again. In fact, he's told to pour out the water. Don't just look at it. Pour it out onto the dry ground, where we assume the dry ground soaked it up, where that water turned into blood could not be recovered, at least not yet. This, I think, is no accident. I think the Lord is doing something on purpose here, speaking to Moses and now to us through this sign. And I think by this he means to say that things may go from good to bad and not immediately back. If that's the case, will you trust me? Moses, when, I, when, I, when you tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and he says no and makes their work worse, will you trust me? When I do the first sign in Egypt of the Nile that now is turned to blood and Pharaoh still says no, will you trust me? When I then begin to pour out sign number two, three, four, five, and it still doesn't happen, will you trust me? When I'm all the way up to sign seven, eight, nine, and on the very cusp of the firstborn being killed in Egypt, will you trust me? We have to think that there's some application of this to our current cultural moment. 
whatever is going on with uh, this global virus. We don't know the Lord's particular purpose in this. It doesn't seem to be a sign in the sense that he says specifically what he means to do in such a thing. And we know there are a variety of responses to this epidemic, that, that some are you know, anxious, others are skeptical, some are, are panicked or stressed or fearful about all of these. And, and many people will try to just say, be calm try to provide some sort of comfort, and that's a good thing. We want to be calm. We want to be comforted. But the Christian has something better even than that. The Christian is called to trust God. That's better in the midst of whatever happens, even if it goes from good to bad and not quite back again. These signs and wonders the Lord does to bring the people to listen and to believe Moses. But ultimately, he does them to bring the people to listen and to believe in himself, to trust him as the Lord. So will you trust him? Pray with me. Lord, we see your phenomenal power here. Would you help us to believe not only in your signs and wonders or only because of your signs and wonders we want to believe in you as the one who does these things. Cause us to place our faith in you and to trust in you. Lord, in the midst of these things, would you pour out your mercy upon us? We rest in that. Thank you for being our God, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.